She Stories, a storytelling and wellness community for women founded by yours truly, Amanda Ramsey. We are real women sharing real stories. Every month, I sit down with the She Stories tribe and we talk to a courageous woman about her story of resilience. So let's enter this sacred space of support, inspiration, and empowerment. Look at her, she's brave, there's no stopping her. Been through a lot, but she fights, she's a warrior. Had her struggles, but she never lost her confidence. She's a queen born to shine, yeah, this girl is fierce. Hope is more than fear. The downs, the highs, they make the road refined and burning fire. What is up, everybody? It's your girl Amanda, and welcome to another episode of Hey Sugar Collabo with She Stories. We are bringing real women, real stories tonight. We're talking to my girl Denise Gonzalez. She is my girl. We've been friends for 20 years. We just talked about that. We can't believe it's been 20 years. She has an amazing story. She is a breast cancer thriver. And I am so excited to talk to her. But first, I want to introduce my girls, my queens. What is up, Selena? How you doing? I'm doing good. (laughs) Good. (laughs) And what's up, Jessica? Hey, girl. Hey. Hey. I'm glad to see you guys. It's been a while. Still haven't seen Selena in person, but it's good to see you guys. I know. I miss you guys. We miss you too. We miss you too. We're doing this over Zoom. We are missing two of the other queens, Nisha and Jess. We send them love, virtual hugs. But let's get into our story for tonight. Let's welcome Miss Denise Gonzalez, breast cancer thriver, a mom, a traveler, just an all-around, just renaissance woman. She's just a beautiful being. What is up, Denise? Hey, sugar. (laughs) That was cute. She has the original sugar. Remember that, That, Yes, that's how we've always greeted ourselves at work. Hey, sugar. That's awesome. Are we the OGs with the Hey Sugar? Yes, we are. We are. I was thinking about that. Like, I wonder if we started that way back then. Yeah. I'd walk, I'd walk into work, right? Hey Sugar. That's cute. I love that. Yeah. So let me tell you, Denise, man, since it's been 20 years, you know, we've had so many great times sitting next to each other, her going through her purse. God, yes. I'd working. clean out my purse, take out all my makeup, my mail, <laughs> phone numbers, all of that. Yeah, every brush. Remember the big old brush I used to carry? Yes. Big old paddle brush for my long hair. I'm feeling like the fourth wheel, like y'all just having your own conversation right now. <laughs> We, Me and Jessica are just like, what's going on? We literally <laughs> legit have history. We do. That's cute. We legit I love that. History. Yeah, we got mad history. Those were the days. But um, <laughs> I'm excited. You know, we've shared so many stories. And um, Denise and I, you know how with friendships, you know, we don't talk for a little bit. But when we talk, we're just jumping back in like no time has passed. Um, but I was just so touched by her story and just to see her strength. And then for her to uh, have so many amazing things happen to her during that journey, I was just like, what are you serious girl? So I'm excited. So Denise, tell us about your story. Tell us your story. Oh, wow. Okay. 
So it really starts for me, a, the big, big change for me happened when I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I was in my early 40s. I was 42. And that changed everything for me. Up until then, I was happy-go-lucky, free as a bird, uh, healthy, 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 workout fanatic. And then um, I got I got a call. I got a call that I had cancer. But before that, things were happening um, that led up to this. Um, so I'm going to back up a little bit. I was a single mom for, let's see, my daughter was probably about nine years old. So I was a single mom for eight years. And um, I chose to be single. I was married. I got divorced. And I chose to stay single because uh, I wanted to do me. I wanted to raise my daughter. I didn't feel the need to be in a relationship. I had a strong corporate career. I had my own house. I traveled the world with my daughter. I was happy. I was happy-go-lucky. And I had a, a job opportunity out of state um, in Houston. I lived in California. And I took the job opportunity. Living in Houston for a couple years, I started to get homesick and the last year leading up before I moved back to California, I met um, a guy. I met a guy and a very nice person, uh, but I just wasn't in the mindset of being in a relationship. And my mind was already in California. Like I'm moving, dude. I've got a daughter. I'll see you later. And so, and I was like that. I kind of just lived my life like, very black and white, you know, either yes or no. I wasn't wishy-washy with any of my decisions. And to make a long story short with that, I, I moved. He was very nice. He helped me move. I mean, I went out with him a couple of times. I knew he wanted something more serious, but I definitely didn't. Um, but nonetheless, he helped me move and like packing and things like that, right? So I leave, I, I go back to California and I stay with my parents until I get myself situated. I was in the process of buying a home in California. And in the meantime, I'm staying with my parents. So my friend um, starts visiting me, right? Like out of the blue, he called like, hey, you know, how about I go visit you for the weekend? And I was like, yeah, sure. Be, me being Denise, I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm still doing my thing. I, you know, I don't want to set up the expectation that, you know, we're going to start dating. So he comes out and visits me and I have a nice time with him. And, you know, I show him around LA, I do the whole LA thing with him. He had never been. And one weekend turned into a month later, he comes out again. And so it started becoming this normal thing of him coming out to visit me. And I found myself comparing him to other guys I was dating. So he, he was growing on me. 
And I was comparing, like, this, this guy really likes me, his qualities. He's a gentleman. Uh, he's worldly. He's educated. He's very respectful. He's not pushy. Like, he started checking off a lot of boxes. And I was comparing him to guys that that I was going out with in LA and, you know, just the usual, right? Sometimes they call you, sometimes they don't, their egos, whatever. Um, so my heart started slowly turning. So we eventually, you know, had a conversation like, okay, why don't we take this further? Um, and we started dating more seriously. and We actually were planning to go away on a trip together, kind of like to start off our relationship, get to know each other, uh, where it's just him and I, because I always have my daughter. So anyhow, um, as he was making the plans for us to take a trip, um, I told him, I said, you know, hold off on purchasing the tickets. He called me. He was going to get ready to purchase the tickets. And I said, you know, can you just hold off? I'm just waiting um, on some information. I, I had not said anything to him because by this time I had gone um, to a doctor's appointment because I felt something on the right side of my breast. Um, not because I was doing a breast exam, but because my arms were crossed and my fingers happened to be on the side of my right breast and I felt something that didn't feel normal. And so I had scheduled an appointment. I went to go see my doctor. She referred me to get a mammogram and get examined. I did all of that. So this brings me to the day I got the phone call because my life was already slowly starting to, to change in terms of being in a relationship with a person, a man. I get the phone call. It's a Friday morning. I will never forget the day. It's a Friday morning and it's about 8.15 in the morning because I had just dropped off my daughter at school. And I see on my caller ID that it's my doctor. And I look at my phone. I'm like, shit, why is my doctor calling me at 8.15 in the morning? And I had actually forgot about the test results. But when I saw her name pop up, I just knew I'm, I didn't like this. I'm like, I don't like this. So I answer. And she, the first thing she said, she's like, are you home alone? I said, no. I said, is somebody there with you? I'm like, she's, I'm like, yes. And I knew, I mean, I was already getting nervous. And she said, you have cancer. And in that moment, I literally felt like I was falling down a black hole and I couldn't stop and she kept talking and saying things and I I don't remember anything else I only remember the word cancer and I remember the word calcification that's it and I think I just went numb on the phone um she told me that she scheduled my appointments to follow up with an oncologist and then she would send me the information. <clears throat> so as you can imagine, this was an out-of-body experience for me. I didn't know what to feel. I didn't know what to think. My mother was downstairs. <clears throat> um, and all I knew is that 
and this is a big part of who I am is when I'm presented with a challenge, when I'm presented with something very difficult, when I'm presented with something scary, I immediately go into fight mode. My feelings get numb. And all I can think about is, okay, what do I, what do I need to do next to fix this? That's how I've always operated. <clears throat> and that's what exactly what I did. I knew I had to go downstairs and tell my mom and be very upfront with her. Um, <clears throat> and my mom and I are very opposites. She is very emotional. And I am like, this is what it is. And this is what we need to do. So I went downstairs and I remember asking her, telling her, I'm going to tell you something, but I need you to be strong for me <clears throat> because it's always been my experience with my mom is that she, I'm the strong one and she's crying and it's hard for her, but I needed her to be strong because it would be very difficult for me to see her in a weak position. <clears throat> um, and I told her, I said, I need you to be strong for me. I said, I just got a phone call and I have cancer. And I'm her youngest daughter of five daughters and a son. And you can imagine what it felt like for her. Um, but I didn't have time to be in those feelings. And I just told her, I said, I'm going to be fine. Um, I have doctor's appointments already lined up and we'll see what happens. And that's all I can remember from that, from that conversation with her, because I just remember blocking the emotions. <clears throat> I just didn't want to get into an emotional state, state of mind. So by this time, I, um, I needed to call um, my friend, his name is Frederick, to let him know what I just found out, because this was something huge and we were planning a trip and he was traveling. He was in Miami at the time traveling for work because he lives in Houston and I live in California. And I called him and I said, Hey, look, um, you know, I don't, I won't be able to go on this trip. Something came up. And of course he asked, he's like, well, what is it? And I said, I just got a phone call and I was told that I have cancer. And of course, this came to a shock to him because I hadn't said anything to him. Our relationship was new. And I didn't think that I would ever have a diagnosis like that. So, um, you know, he said he was sorry. Um, he asked me if I needed anything. Of course, I said, no, thank you. And I told him, I said, I'll, I'll keep you posted. So my expectation of his response was, uh, I had no expectation because I didn't know him enough on that personal level. Mm -hmm. um, and I also was still processing what was happening. So I had no expectation. Um, I, had, I had placed any expectation on him. I was in a, I was like in a fog. Yeah. So um, this was Friday morning. By Saturday morning, I kid you not, Frederick was at my doorstep, took a flight 
from Miami overnight, landed, and was at my parents' house in the morning. I just love him. Yes. So I. I don't even know this, Frederick. <laughs> yes. That's so sweet. This is, this is when, ladies, this is when I learned what love is hmm. and what it felt like. Because I had been single, I had gone through a tumultuous divorce, tumultuous, you know, short-lived years of marriage, single mom. So I had all this like 10 years of buildup, right, of not a successful uh, marriage or relationships. And I had my own ideology of guys. And so that's why I was so independent. And I'm like, I don't want to be with a guy and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And here I meet this gentleman, nice as can be. And I gave him a hard time. I'm like, I'm not interested in him. He's too serious. He wants to get married. I was being Denise. (laughs) And cancer changed. In that moment, cancer started changing my life. When he landed at my steps the very next morning, didn't tell me he was coming. I didn't ask him to come, had no idea. And there he was. I was blown away, wow. blown away. Um, so beautiful. It humbled me. It humbled me tremendously. It allowed me to be in the feelings and the emotions of what was happening. Whereas before I wasn't. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you think it was uh, seeing his sincere, caring heart and seeing his emotions of caring for you that put you in that space, you think? Yes, 100%. His uh, sincerity, his empathy, his not questioning, um, his you know, there's no ego involved, right? It is a hundred percent. I am here. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And, uh, and sorry. Perfect timing, you know what I mean? For you in your life, for this person to walk into your life, you know what I mean? In the most challenging time. Yes. And that's why I wanted to share what led up. Sorry, the blow my nose. What led up to um, to the diagnose? What was happening? What was happening before? Yeah. Um, right before I got that call, there was things brewing. There was things brewing um, for a long time. Hmm. <clears throat> there was a lot of, even though I was stable, there was still a lot of instability in my life. I was a single mom. I got divorced. I moved out of state to pursue a career um, um, advancement. I was raising my daughter on my own. I mean, even though I was stable, I was still, you know, there was something missing in my life. And that something was um, Frederick. Yeah. And he presented himself um right at that time and 
you know, I, I'm a big believer of, you know, I have faith and I'm a big believer of God. And, you know, I grew up religious and God sent him to me at the right time. Mm -hmm. Because for years I was pushing that away. Mm. I may have not met him along before that, but I was pushing that notion away of um, a kind-hearted man, a good man, not, you know, egocentric. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, aside from the physical trauma of going through cancer, um, there was an emotional you know, it was emotional, it was physical, it was medical. It, I mean, it just, it completely turned me inside out. Completely turned me inside out. And so when he arrived at my parents' doorstep, I mean, from there it was doctor appointments on top of doctor appointment. I mean, my, my world was flooded with oncologists. Um, you know, radiology, x-rays, biopsies, labs. I mean, it was constant, constant, um, um, just immersed in, in medical appointments. And he was there for every single one. Mm-hmm. Still traveling. There were times where he couldn't because he was traveling, but um, was there um, for every single one, for all the needle picking, for all of the you know machinery that I had to go under for MRIs and you know ultrasounds. <clears throat> Sitting down with the oncologist, you know, understanding you know what type of cancer. Sorry to cough. Pause right here, Stephen. Yeah. Um, You know, it's been six years now, so I'm trying to think back, um, you know, to all those days, what it was like. I just remember it was a lot of appointments. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of medical terminology, being overwhelmed, all the questions. And he was there. You know, he, and he never put any pressure on me. He never stressed me out. Mm-hmm. He never showed any emotion of fear or scare. I mean, he was just the strong, steady ship. Wow. That's all I could. That's, that's what I remember. He was always by my side. So there was one point in my cancer treatment early on that the oncologist, um, sat down sat us down to tell us um he said look once you start chemotherapy so my treatment was i had to go through chemotherapy then um a mastectomy and then radiation so i had like all of it and my cancer was is genetic um i tested positive for a gene mutation 
It is not the BRCA1. It is not the BRCA2. Those are the most common that you hear um, in the media. Um, mine is, um, it's PELB2, P-A-L-B2. It's not as common because it's a fairly new gene that was discovered hmm. five five years prior to when I was diagnosed. Wow. It's not as common. Um, so when I, when they told me that that's what I had, I was just stunned. Like, how do I even have this? I was so confused. And that's a, that's a whole other podcast to be quite honest. <laughs> but, um, I learned that my cancer was genetic. So it was passed down on my mother's side. Mm. And when you get diagnosed with cancer, a genetic cancer, cancer, you start to unravel your family's genetic history and start connecting the dots. Um, and that's what happened to me. I started asking my mom, you know, about her family. And there is a lot of cancer in her family. She had a sister that passed away of ovarian cancer. She had a sister that survived breast cancer. She had a brother that um, passed away of stomach cancer. Every cancer you can possibly think of, it's on my mom's side. So I felt like, shit, damn, I mean, is this what I get too? I was really pissed off. I was really pissed off. I mean, I'm not pissed off at her, but I'm like, you know, this is no fun for me. Yeah. Um, so that was a whole other thing that I needed to wrap myself around. Um, but I did that later. I had to get through treatment. Um, so I wanted to go back to the story when the oncologist sat us down to explain what the treatment is like. And I know nothing of, I knew nothing of, of cancer at that time. Um, he said, look, you're going to start chemotherapy and chemotherapy is going to put you in a medically induced menopause, meaning I won't have my periods anymore and I won't be able to get pregnant. And that was, um, that was hard because even though I had a daughter, I would have wanted to still have the opportunity to have more kids. And Frederick doesn't have any kids. And his desire would have been to have at least one. So we had to make a very quick decision that in that moment, this is probably something that's not going to be in our future. Um, but we were okay with it we decide we made that decision collectively like okay if this is what I need to go through then we accept um the fact that that I won't be able to have any more more kids um so I it wasn't as hard for me so anyhow um we I start chemotherapy and you know, once again, are you guys there? Yeah, we're here. Yeah, okay, sorry, because my phone is dark. I'm going to have to sit on the floor close to the, the plug. <laughs> so I start chemotherapy, and, you know, all I can say, ladies, is that Frederick, um, he was the one right there next to me in the chair. 
you know, holding my hand um, through all those chemo sessions, I remember. Um, and thankfully, I didn't get a lot of side effects from chemotherapy. I think I would just get like a fever for a couple of days. But I went about my my life pretty normal um, during chemotherapy. I will tell you that the hardest part was when uh, I started to lose my hair. And my hair was a very big identity for me. I've always had long, black, beautiful hair. Um, And when that part of, of cancer treatment hit me, it was devastating. I think that's when I let my emotions out. Mm-hmm. Because you physically see the cancer. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, you don't see cancer. Um, but when your hair falls out and you look at yourself in the mirror, it was, it was, it was really hard for me. It was really hard for me. I'd cut my hair to my shoulders before um, it was going to fall out. So they tell you exactly like when it's going to happen, and it's usually. After the second, I don't even remember to be quite honest though. I think it is after the second one. After the second round, um, like three weeks after, you start chemo. And so me, being always so damn optimistic, I'm like, oh, my hair is not going to fall out. I'm going to be like this <laughs> this rare case where my hair doesn't <laughs> fall out, right? Because <laughs> I'm healthy and I got healthy hair. <laughs> I literally thought that. that I'm like, my hair's not going to fall out. My doctor's going to be so surprised. So I went to cut my hair to my shoulders because they tell you you want to start cutting your hair in phases. Be- that way it's not as dramatic when it does fall out. So I cut it to my shoulders. And then sure enough, three days after that, I woke up and there was just a lot of hair on my pillow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of hair on my pillow. And it just starts shedding. It's like there's no stopping it. And so I think by the next day I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go cut it really short because I wasn't ready to shave it. But I also didn't want to see it fall out the way it was falling out, like the long hair. So I went with a, I went to a salon with a friend. And um, by this time I had patches, like bald patches. And that's really when I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, what is happening to me? Like, I have cancer. Because I didn't feel like I had cancer. I was so healthy. I was doing, you know, well on chemotherapy. Um, I had a really positive attitude. Um, like I was getting through it. Like I was, you know, Frederick was by my side. I was in love. He was taking care of me. Mm-hmm. And then when my hair started falling out, it all changed for me. Mm-hmm. I looked sick. I looked because the color, the color of my skin was changing because of the chemotherapy. I mean, your eyebrows uh, start falling, thinning out, my eyelashes, like I was physically changing. And that's when it was starting to take a toll on me. Um, But what was helping me get through it was, was Frederick. I mean, I never felt, I, he always made me feel beautiful. 
he combed my hair out. I mean, I remember, you know, standing in our balcony and he's combing my hair and I just see my hair flying away and, and I'm crying, devastated, bawling. And he's like, you're still beautiful. You're still beautiful. Mm-hmm. And how could you not get through something so difficult when you have so much unconditional support yeah. and love? Yeah. Wow. So um, I, I don't know. Should, should I pause? You girls have questions? I have a question. Yeah. Well, I know everyone that's listening can't see you, but I can see you. And there's just so much strength just watching you tell your story. Like you're not one of those, you know, you've heard people tell their stories and they're kind of a little bit of a mess. You can still see that they're still trying to survive their, their journey and situation, but you really are thriving. So I wanted to know, what do you do to maintain your mental health during your journey? What did you do throughout your journey to maintain your mental health? That's a really good question. Um, I definitely have a positive mindset. I knew that I kept telling myself. So I hung on to the words that the doctor told me very early on in my diagnosis when he sat me down and to tell me exactly what I have. He said, um, uh, you're going to survive this. Um, and you're going to come out on the other end. That's all. I needed to hear yeah, to get through it. And I hung on to those words to the very last day of treatment. And I just kept telling myself, this too shall pass. And so Amanda, you had asked me earlier if, I, if there's a quote or something that I go by. Till this day, I tell myself, this too shall pass. Because I have gone through many lows in life, many, many, many lows in life. Um, and I have gotten through all of them because it, this will pass. This will pass. And when you're going through the hardest of the hardest, my faith gets me through it, that I know that God is on my side. Um, and this is temporary. And there isn't anything that I cannot do to put myself in a better position. It may take me a while, but I know that my internal drive and desire to be in a better place will always lead me to to that. Um, Sometimes it's not easy. Um, I think it was probably harder for me after cancer and I can speak to that later, but as I was going through my, my, uh, cancer journey, the chemotherapy, then learning that my cancer was genetic and I still haven't even touched on this. So when I learned that my cancer was genetic, my treatment plan changed very quickly um, because it takes about it takes about ten weeks to get that genetic test back. So by this time, I had already started treatment, and so when when my doctor got my genetic results back, because they test you for, well, at least my doctor tested me for all different kinds of cancers. He said you have a genetic your, uh, mutation, and because of this genetic mutation, 
you have a 60% chance of um, breast cancer in your other breast, right? My left breast where I didn't have breast. So that meant that instead of having a single mastectomy, I had to have a double mastectomy. So I learned that once I was already going through treatment. So that was something else that I had to process that I'm going to lose both of my breasts. And not just both of my breasts, but also my areolas and my nipples. And this is something that I've never shared. Amanda, I don't think I ever to- ever told you. No. not a Yeah. Wow. This is probably the most mm, sacred piece of having a double mastectomy because not a lot of cancer, um, or at least cancer patients or survivors that I know, talk about what that's like, having to lose your areolas and your nipples. Hmm. And you're already in a medically induced menopause. And on top of that, because I have a genetic disposition, I had a 30% chance of developing ovarian cancer, which meant that the recommended treatment or a prophylactic treatment is to remove your ovaries because your ovaries produce the estrogens and my cancer feeds off of estrogen. Wow. Yes. Wow. So this was something else I had to process going through treatment. So it was like compounding mm-hmm. as I'm going through treatment. Um, and it was, I mean, just thinking about it now, it was, it was hard and it was heavy because I came from being so healthy and thriving and, you know, I went to the doctor maybe once um, to all of a sudden my body is changing. Like things are being taken away from me. Like I felt like I kept getting an amputation on top of an amputation mm. before even it even happened. That slipped me into, um, I would say a depression, but I got really sad. I got really sad because I felt like I was getting amputated. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when the fear kicked in of cancer. And I remember calling Frederick like at three in the morning and he was traveling saying like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Like that's when it hit me. I think I was probably two months into my cancer treatment into chemo okay. because this, because my mindset is always like, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. And then I get the, the, the phone call about the genetic disposition and it's a double mastectomy. And because the cancer, the, the tumor was so close to my nipple that they've got to remove the areola and the nipple because the cancer can grow there also. So I was really down really young and I'm young I'm healthy yes you have a young mm-hmm. daughter and still have a lot of life to live and you start a new relationship and yes so much to contend with and so many things to think about regarding your future yeah and you know what is he going to think about it is he going to bail you know you start thinking that also yeah. absolutely your mind starts you know starts taking inventory of, okay, you know, am I still worthy? Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, he stuck by my side. 
you know, never once made me feel less than, never once questioned, never once put himself in the middle of it. Never. I think his, his demeanor uh, was a huge, huge um, force of <clears throat> support for me. <clears throat> oh, I had to process that. I had, I had a really tough time. I went to a therapist. I talked to my oncologist and I told him that I just was having a really difficult time with, um, <clears throat> with, the, with the information that I was given. And, you know, he recommended that I speak with um, a, a therapist that specializes with uh, cancer patients. Mm -hmm. That was very helpful. Um, and, you know, you either accept it or you don't. So I had to put myself in because I was in it like I was going through cancer treatment I was you know in the in the fight mode and so you have two choices either <clears throat> you do nothing or you accept it yeah and you keep moving because I knew I didn't want to stay in the same spot mm -hmm. like I had to get like I have to get through this I have to get through this yeah um, I have a daughter, right? I want to be here for, you know, many, many, many years, you know, mm -hmm. for her. I don't want her to be without a mom. And, um, I knew that I had to have a double mastectomy. Um, and at some point after, uh, my oncologist said, you know, removal of the ovaries, a year to two years after you finish your cancer treatment so that we kind of, I kind of like tabled it till later, mm -hmm. pushed it aside. Mm -hmm. And I finished my chemotherapy in November of 2014. And then right before Christmas, I had my double mastectomy. Um, and that was a hard recovery, hard painful um I couldn't drive I couldn't lift anything for six weeks I remember I was totally dependent on people doing everything for me um Frederick again you know stepped in and he would change the dressings around my breast the drains I mean all of it all of it I had a lot of support I had support from family from friends um my daughter's school um I, I'm very blessed to say that I, I had a lot of support. I was still living at my mom's house um, to get through all of this. So, you know, I had family and friends around me. Mm -hmm. And we got through chemo. We got through the surgery in December. And then I started radiation. I started radiation in January. That went for two months every day. I remember. And my last radiation was on my birthday, March 10th. And I saw that as a big, big sign as my rebirth that I got through cancer treatment, mm -hmm. um, that I put it behind me. I got, I got through it and I was, you know, another year older, um, but with a bright future, 
uh, ahead of me because I put cancer behind me. So I thought. So I thought. Um, because even yet, um, it's what nobody talks about is what life is like after cancer. And that was and has been one of the hardest adjustments for me. Um, you asked me earlier the question about, you know, how do I get through it? Well, I got through it by telling myself this too shall pass, but <clears throat> that didn't translate so well after, after cancer. And I can speak to more of that if anybody has any questions. Or should I just keep going? Wow. I mean, I, you know, you're a very courageous woman, Denise. And to experience everything that you have experienced, um, just in just sharing this part of your journey with us, um, to be able to still affirm yourself as a woman and then have a great support system like Frederick and your family just to be there along the way. It's just, it's just an amazing support system that you've had that got you through, you know? And yes. I, I know um, that it was very challenging for you and how could it not be with you having all the history of your family and then you had to have a double mastectomy and you start a new relationship and you're in love and you're wondering what's going to happen to this man, but yet he, he keeps showing up. Like he's showing up, like even God still showing up in your life. Yeah. And, um, I want to transition to the blessing that came out of all of that. <laughs> I know. I want to get to that part. I know. That's just like, that was just like, what? Are you serious? Talk I know. about that. Talk about that. I, that's why I wanted to pause. <clears throat> so, so I got through, through all of my cancer treatment and I'm in love and, you know, Frederick's amazing and we're planning our future and I feel really good. I feel really good. And I'm still in this, this menopause. Remember, okay. That the oncologist said is that I will be in a medically induced menopause and there is no guarantee that I will come out of it. And I had accepted that, right. We had accepted that early on. And so I'm done with all of my treatments. This is March 10th, my birthday. And I'm happy. I'm like, I'm done. I'm in a new relationship. I feel good. <clears throat> um, I had already processed the fact that I had the double mastectomy. And Frederick and I um, made plans to move in together, right? And with my daughter, we um, were going to travel to Europe as kind of a celebration of getting through cancer to meet his family. We were starting our life together, right? Because his family lives in Europe. So it's my birthday, March 10th, the last day of my radiation. My family's over. Um, my friends are over. Like things are great. Like my new relationship, we're moving to, we're moving into, we got a house together. We're packing for Europe. Like everything is great. I'm love. Like, I feel like the old Denise, right? Um, and my, my doctor had reminded me, he's like, you know, 
you know, enjoy your life, take a break from all of the the doctor appointments. He's like, but come see me because, you know, we need to talk about the next phase of your treatment, which is the removal of my ovaries, right? That surgery was pending, right? I say, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll see you. You know, I'll, when I come back from Europe, you know, I'll make my appointment. So this was March. We leave to Europe. We have a great time. We're gone for, I don't know, two, three weeks. We come back, settle in our new home. We're furnishing it, you know, all of that. Um, I go see my oncologist. By this time, it was April. And, you know, he explained to me the surgery that I would have to have. He explained to me, once we remove your ovaries, you're on a permanent menopause because of my age. You know, it's going to put me into a very young menopause because I wasn't even in like the perimenopause, right? I wasn't having any symptoms. So anyhow, um, he said, he referred me to the doctor that was going to do the surgery out in Newport Beach. He says, um, you know, you can do, you can, you can wait a year if you up to a year. He's like, but after that, you got to have it done. Right. Okay. So I went about my, my way. I go back home, back to my life, knowing that I still need to, that's something that I'm going to have to schedule out in the near future. This was April in May. Um, remember I'm in a menopause, right? So I'm not getting my periods in May. I get my period a very normal, healthy period. And I'm like, hmm. So I call my doctor and I said, Dr. Link, I got my period. This is my oncologist. He says, you did? He's like, okay. He's like, if you get it again next month, give me a call. Okay. Hang up the phone, go on, go on about my life. Exactly 28 days because now I'm watching the calendar. I get my period. This is now June. Very normal period, very healthy, right? Not spotty, not, just normal. Call my oncologist up. Dr. Lee, got my period again. He's like, okay. He's like, sounds like your body is coming out of, came out of menopause, right? He's like, this is not common. He sent me to go see a specialist, a fertility specialist just to make sure he wanted to get labs, make sure my ovaries looked healthy, like just get it, get a checkup. Right. So Frederick accompanies me to this appointment. We had zero expectation. I didn't even know what questions to ask. I was just being a good little soldier to go to my appointment to get some labs works done. So we get to the appointment and, um, They do all the tests, right? The labs, the ultrasound, vaginal exam. And the fertility specialist says to me, she says, and I will never forget her words. She says, if I didn't know your history, like your cancer history and your age, because by this time I was 44, 44, she's like, I would Get, I would think, I would guess I'm looking at a young, early 30s woman, right? She says, you have a very healthy ovary uh, egg count. Your ovaries look very healthy. Like everything was healthy. Labs, everything, right? She said, um, if you are considering um, conceiving, getting pregnant, I don't see any medical issues. Why, medical issues why you shouldn't. Everything looks very healthy. 
right? She's like, but you know, you want to talk to your oncologist about that. And I was shocked. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I wasn't expecting this, right? Again, we had in our minds, we had said, okay, we're I'm not going to have babies anymore. I won't be able to. And so this was, I didn't know what to make of it. So um, my oncologist called us into his office. You know, I want, you know, I want to talk to both of you. He says, from a medical standpoint, he's like, I've never seen this happen before. He's like, you're just coming off of cancer treatment. You were in menopause. Now you're, you come out of menopause and everything comes back very healthy. He's like, I've never seen this happen in my 40 years of being a breast oncologist. If you wanted to have, um, get pregnant, there isn't an elevated risk of a cancer coming back. But you have a year, like literally you said, you have a year if you want to get pregnant. After that, you've got to have your ovaries removed because of the risk of of uh, ovarian cancer. So this through Frederick and I for a complete, like we were like, what? How is this happening? Like we were told that I wasn't going to have a baby. We made our life, like we planned out our life, just him and I and my, and my daughter, right? Now, like the, you take it away from us and now you give it back to us. Like, what do we do with this, right? And so we we didn't know what to do. We were like shocked. So we said, I said, look, I said, you know what? This is a gift from God. If this is meant to be, let it be and let it happen naturally. I don't want to put any pressure on myself or put any pressure on you. Let's just see what happens, right? Um, this was in June. In July, I got pregnant. Like that quick. That quick, I got pregnant. Wow, that's so beautiful. And how old is he now? Nicholas, we had Nicholas. He is five. He's going to be five in April. Five. Wow. Such a beautiful gift. And I mean, your story is so amazing. Like we haven't even covered half yeah, I know. of your story. I know. I know. We got to do part two. We haven't even covered <laughs> half of your story. But what a beautiful blessing, even though you experienced going through cancer and all the challenges that you had behind that um, emotionally, mentally, and then you were able to have faith in God and have a great support system and find love and then have a beautiful baby. Like just a blessing came out of the storm. You know what I mean? Yeah. For you. And um, so you're a thriver today. Yeah. I, I see your pictures, your daughter. She's almost grown now. huh? How old is she yes. now? She will be 16 in a couple of weeks. Driving, almost <laughs> driving cars. Uh, I know. <laughs> Nicholas is a big boy. Life is, uh, God has been amazing to you and your family, Denise. Yes. I mean, I have gone through the low lows and the high highs. And all I can say is, you know, cancer was fighting for my life. And then all of a sudden I'm giving life. Yeah. And that pregnancy was so different to the first to come from fighting for my life to creating life yeah. within a year. It was just mind boggling. My, my mind couldn't wrap around what my body and I have so much respect for my body. Like that tells you how healthy my body yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. was 
um, before cancer, during cancer, and after cancer. Yeah, yeah. Loving it. And I have a healthy boy, and it was the son that Frederick always wanted because he didn't have any Mm. kids. And I had asked him very early on in our relationship before, you know, I was even diagnosed, you know, I had asked him, you know, if you wanted any kids, he said, like, you know, I would like one, a son. Yeah. And I, nothing gives me so more joy than knowing that I fulfilled that dream of his, of giving him a son. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yes. Well, um, you have two, um, two, I guess you would say communities that um, have been very supportive uh, for you on your journey and Jess is going to take over and, and talk a little bit about uh, some support and then uh, let's hear about it. Jessica? Yeah, we we love resources. So at the end of every uh, podcast episode, we'd love to shout some people out. And I just wanted to ask you, are there any uh, resources or any support groups or any communities that you found that you find that are really beneficial for you and that really helped you through your journey? Uh, so, you know, there wasn't that many or that I knew of when I was going through it. Mm-hmm. So this was six years ago, six, five, six years ago. And I wasn't as active on Instagram. I was on Facebook at the time. So there wasn't or none that I followed Okay. That um, I felt were, I will tell you this, the ones that I did come across um, instilled more fear in me than mm. help. A lot of them were just a lot of people just saying, oh, this happened to me. Oh, oh, that happened to me. Oh, these are my symptoms. And I steered away from all of that because I didn't want to experience somebody else's um experience with cancer and there wasn't a lot of like medically sound um accounts that I came across Mm -hmm. so I actually stayed away from social media when I was going through cancer but it wasn't till years after I would say maybe I would say three years after cancer (laughs) that I started seeking uh support on social media Okay. Because I was, I, I developed a lot of post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. um, about, I would say about three years after. And that's when I sought um, out information on social media. Mm-hmm. And one of the, uh, I mean, there's so many different ones that I used to follow that don't come up on my feed anymore. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will share one. It's called music underscore sex after cancer. And I really like this. I follow um, accounts that are driven by doctors okay. um, because of the, for me, um, medical accuracy is the most important. Um, and I sought this particular um, account because um, sex isn't talked about when you go through cancer, mm-hmm. um, doctors don't talk to you 
about how it's going to impact your sexual life, okay. your mm-hmm. intimacy. And it's an area that lacks a lot of support, mm-hmm. even from doctors. And there were things that I was going through that I didn't understand. And I didn't know if it was normal, if mm-hmm. it was, um, I just didn't know. And so um, I came across this, this particular um, Instagram account and it gives um, you information as to some of the side effects of going through cancer treatment and how that impacts your intimacy. Um, So I found that very, very helpful. Um, And another one is, is there's a local group that I joined. It's Mm -hmm. called the Breasties. They have chapters all over the U.S. Um, That was, that has been helpful when you can, you know, as a cancer survivor, you don't relate a lot of what you went through with people who haven't. And I needed that support. I needed that someone to talk to. Uh, about just feeling whatever feeling I was in um, with um, other cancer survivors. And so I I joined a local chapter and that helped me uh, in times of when I just need to talk to somebody about my cancer journey. That's awesome. We, um, we're going to share those in our notes for our podcast about those two um Instagram accounts that you shared that were helpful for you um, after you went through your your cancer journey. But um, we just really appreciate you, Denise, taking your time tonight and sharing with us. We know that you are in another state <laughs> later, but we thank you so much for taking this time to share and just inspiring us and empowering us as women, those that are going through cancer and those that have went through cancer and are still um, experiencing challenges. Uh, You've been very instrumental in helping women and men. You just don't even know how many people you have helped tonight with your story. That's still continuing. It's still- I know, it's still, still is. Well, Jessica's going to drop some resources for us. So we have those two organizations that you told us about, but she has some other information to give. And then we're going to say good night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just want to let you guys know I'm a, you know, I'm a nurse. So, you know, I need to let everybody know all the women out there and actually the men too. make sure that you're doing, um, you know, breast or chest exams regularly. Um, you know, it was just by happenstance that Denise came across something that felt abnormal, but that is uh, the most common way that people find out is they, they just happen to be doing something regular and then they they find a lump or a bump and you have to take it from there. So make sure you're doing your breast exams. If you are struggling with anything, find help. There's so many resources out there. There's NAMI, you could text 741-741 to get 24-7 crisis support for mental health. Um, PTSD does require a diagnosis, but it's so common in so many people for a variety of different reasons, but especially in cancer survivors, because that's a traumatic experience that you went through. And a lot of people don't talk about that part. So hope is real. Help is real. Healing is possible. We're here for you. And, um, man, just, we're, we're just really inspired by Denise's story. And, uh, we, I can't wait to hear the next the next segment. <laughs> Part two. <laughs> <laughs>
Definitely. Thanks, Jess, for the resources. Thanks, Selena, for joining us again. Another Sugar and She Stories collabo podcast for tonight. And thank you again, Denise, for sharing your heart, being very transparent, and inspiring our community. We appreciate you and we love you. Love you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Denise. Take care. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.